Hi everyone, welcome to season two, episode one of Some Drivel. As always, I'm your host JT and it is honestly an absolute pleasure and a privilege to be joined by an actor, director, musician, voiceover artist of 35 plus years. And also I will say this, um, genuinely a, 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 an acting and performing hero of mine, uh, Mr. Tim Russ. Tim, thank you so much uh, for joining us on this. Um, it is a, honestly a pleasure to have you. My pleasure. Pleasure to be here. So, um, I feel like just first of all, because of the strange, bizarre year that we've had, um, I know that for someone like yourself, you know, this, the industry ground to a halt. You know, so much of yeah. what was considered normal uh, became, you know, inaccessible and not possible because of logistics, because of the pandemic. So, yeah. it, just in terms of what that's been like for you personally, have you been able to, to, to keep working or have you kind of largely just been in isolation? Well, um, no, during the last year, um, I had at least three um, acting projects that were postponed. They were pushed until right. this year. As a matter of fact, I <clears throat> just finished up on the last of the three a couple of weeks ago uh, here in L.A. because they were all postponed until 2021. <clears throat> and um, and actually, the work that I did the most of last year during the pandemic was voiceover work. Right. Because voiceover, you know, could either have been done and recorded at my own house um, under my system, or it could be done in a studio with just myself and the engineer. Right. <laughs> and we're separated by, you know, a booth, a soundproof booth. So there's no, you know, if you walk in with a mask, the place is sprayed down, you go do your thing on the mic and you go home and there's no contact with anyone else. And all the producers and directors are remote. They're doing all their directing and and uh, giving notes and things uh, and hearing your performance remotely <clears throat> with what's essentially um, a Zoom type program that they use oh. in the studios. So that makes it easier <clears throat> for, for us to be able to do that. That was the most work that I had done in terms of voiceover. I had at least four or five gigs during COVID uh, that were all VO because that was one of the few things I could, you know, we could actually do without having to worry about so much uh, the COVID re regulations and restrictions and all that good stuff. So that's fantastic. I mean, I suppose, yeah. so the logical next question would then be, you know, were you already set up for this? Did you have the equipment at home or is this something you've had to adapt to over time? No, I've had, I've had recording stuff at home for a while because um, the agency that I work for, I work for uh, I a voiceover agency and, we have to do all of our audition pieces, the pieces that send us to read uh, for, um, so that they can uh, pitch us to the, uh, the producers and things. If we have to record stuff, it, it's usually recorded at home. Um, uh, Pre-COVID, um, we could go into the studio uh, at the agency and have them recorded there in the booth. But, you know, logistically, it's just not practical to have to drive back and forth to that studio to do that. So most of the agents, most of the clients of the agency um, have their studios at home. And yeah. mine is not, you know, one of the most expensive and most, you know, uh, complicated. Mine is actually pretty, pretty simple and, and basic. So uh, it's, it's a decent microphone and it's a computer uh, recording program, very simple. Um, and I, I do all the, I do all the recording of those pieces, uh, at the house. And then sometimes I do performance, uh, recordings as well. I did a podcast not long ago that I recorded at the house and I had the director, um, 
on a Zoom call with me so that they could hear what I was doing and give me notes or whatever. And we went through and recorded everything in the script um, just here in my uh, office. It's pretty impressive, the adaptability of the fact that, you know, and the fact that this industry has been able to scale to a whole new set of circumstances that no one really could have predicted, you know. Yeah, I mean, because of the nature of that kind of work, um, given the fact that it's just basically you um, doing the work, you know, and and somebody just listening in, you can get that done, uh, pandemic or not. And um, whereas the film stuff is... You know, it's a big operation. It's just a sure, full yeah, absolutely. operation. A lot of logistics, a lot of people, a lot of hassle. So, you know, the voiceover stuff can be done without expensive testing, without any of that stuff at all. The and not having a bunch of people. It's just two people. If it's in a studio, literally is two people and you're not in the same room. So you literally aren't even in the same space. And, um, you know, if you make sure that the room is disinfected or cleaned or whatever, you know, then the next person comes in, it's typically not an issue um, for doing that stuff. And it wasn't last year. Um, I had no problems with it. Um, and then you have the home setups that you can do uh, at your house. You know, maybe one day I'll, I'll, you know, create an actual, you know, booth space for me to work in right now. I don't have that. Um, it would be better if I did. Um, an actual, you know, like a closet that you convert into a sound booth. That's what most um, voiceover, um, a lot of voiceover actors and and talent uh, end up doing in order to be able to get even a better and cleaner sound. um, They also uh, up the ante on their microphone. They'll get a a more expensive microphone with a better quality diaphragm. So there's all those things that one can uh, do to to improve the, the quality because some of the bookings that you might make, they'll ask you if you can record at home. Right, of course. Because of course, the, you know, whoever's paying you, it's cheaper for them to have you recorded at home than it like, is to Could you just a find studio. us a cupboard, please? That'd be yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and so they don't have to pay for a studio time per hour. <clears throat> and some of those big studios, some of the major studios, they require a minimum, <clears throat> a minimum. <clears throat> they may only, may only need you for like, you know, an hour, but they'll require four hours, you know, minimum time. So, mm. you know, it costs them more money to book you in a studio than it does, you know, to do it at home. Um, well, and also, you know, uh, yeah, that's for actually recording. And I don't have the uh, software right. that they sometimes require. It's called Source Connect, which is software that allows you to uh, the producers and stuff to to listen in on your session um and it's uh, it's a little bit more integrated than skype or zoom although skype and zoom seems to work pretty well for me i don't know how I, you know how it couldn't be any different but sure. source connect source connect goes through your recording uh program so that they're actually listening to how the the, the material is being recorded on your computer rather than you know, listening to it via a microphone from a, a screen on a Zoom screen. So it's coming straight so it's from the source. Di- yeah, it's a different sound. It's right, it's, they can hear exactly what you're recording and what the quality of that recording is. So See, there's, you know. You've, um, you've helped me beautifully with my segue here, Tim, because um, I wanted to ask you about that in terms of the, the feeling of voice acting, you know, on paper. To me, the idea of comparing, say, voice acting to when you're on a set 
you know, I would have thought maybe this is, you know, an, an ignorant assumption, but that voice acting would feel restrictive. You know, you're not able to use your full tool set. You're in a sort of, you know, a very confined space with very specific parameters. Yes. However, from what you've just described, it sounds like it's worked out pretty well. It sounds like it's a pretty liberating thing, actually. Yeah, I mean, depending upon what, uh, it, 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 even based on what you're recording, I mean, it could be a commercial, it could be hmm. um, a, a character piece in a, in, a, in a podcast or an animated project or, or radio play. It, the, 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 the difference, the difference is, is there's definitely a change and a, a switch between working on camera and working in voice. The camera has your face and your, it picks up your expression. And a lot of stuff is done through expression, not necessarily through dialogue. Mm. Dialogue's just there to carry the story. But on film, it's about the action. It's about the expression in your face. So the camera does a lot of heavy lifting. And in voice acting, that is simply not the case. And I learned very early on when I first started out, um, I was on an animated series as a guest star for a while. It was a Spider-Man show. And, and I learned, you know, right on, on the spot, actually performing a character um, in a voice, uh, a voice acting uh, project that, boy, it's, there's a lot of nuances. <laughs> it's about nuance. It's about, you know, a line that you'd say on camera when you do it on your, as a voice actor, you have to add three or four layers of nuance. You have to add three or four layers of emotion and mm -hmm. attitude on top of what you normally would do. So it is overdone or overplayed in terms of nuance and in terms of emotion in order to convey what the attitude and the character is because all you have is your ears you, you're not seeing anyone cool so that has to be believable so if you have to convey you know sometimes it's really subtle changes you know they'll give you uh on average when you're doing a, a character for a video game for example you know, that one line, which is just a sentence or two, you'll have to do it, you know, six, seven times because they want to give you notes on each one of those reads. So each one of those reads, they'll give you, oh, can you just give me a little bit more on this word right here? Can you give me a little bit less over there? Can you give me a new a nuance on this right there on that phrase? Can you give me in the, here's the attitude you want. And you, you've done it, you know, six ways to Sunday because each time you change those nuances and those, uh, those emotional tweaks, that line says something. It means something. Coming so, into the line can make a difference. Coming out of the line can make a difference. Right. You know? Can yeah. that be something as simple as like, you know, changing the emphasis on a word or actually, yes. you know, approaching it with a different intention? It can be something as subtle as that. Yes, it can be. And even more subtle than that. I mean, do, putting the emphasis on a word is easy. Mm. It's when you start to put the nuances, the emotional nuances on it, the, the intent of what you're saying. You know, is the character hesitant? Is the character deliberate? Is the character remorseful? Is the character uncertain? Right. Uncertainty. You have to play that uncertainty. And it's a very subtle nuance. And if you, you know, that, that has to be in there. And you're also recording, and many times you're recording your lines singularly. There's nobody else in the room. It's just you. It's not a back and forth, right? No, it's not a back and forth. No, they'll lead you in. Sometimes they'll lead you in. Hmm. And they'll say, okay, here's the line before. And a lot of times they'll set up the attitude and here's what the situation is. And that does help tremendously, obviously, because you need to know what's going on. So you have to, they'll set it up for you, but there's no one else there. So you have to have these 
these several different types of takes and these nuances so that they can work them in with everybody else in their line deliveries, you know, on, on, in those scenes. So it's very, very, it is very tricky work. Yeah. Especially to, to have consistency of direction across those different conversations, because, you know, that, that director that's maybe got you to do those six or seven different takes, they've got to have versions for the other actor in response so they can match it. That's correct. And yeah. And, they, and plus the fact they'll take, you know, a line from one line from this speech and another line from that speech and a third line from this other speech and each version and to make the one speech that they want because they have the option of doing that. That's why you're doing multiple takes is that the editorially they'll say, well, I like that last line he did on that speech. Let's use that last line. And I like the first line on this speech and I like the middle line on that speech. And it can and be sort of almost Frankenstein together. That's exactly, they'll do it. They'll exactly do that. If they so desire, they have the option of doing that. So, you know, I'm not sure, you know, having after done the work, you know, which pieces they're going to do and which ones they're not. They prefer, of course, to have it all in one line so that sure. it's very smooth and, and connected. But sometimes if there's a pause or period, you know, they can just swap out those lines. It doesn't matter, you know, uh, and they have the, the option to do so. So it's uh, it, it is it is far more uh, it is far more difficult uh, type of work than it is uh, in terms of, of being on camera acting. It's 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 much more complex. Than- yeah, you have a from the sounds of it, you also have a reduced palette to be able to then convey those emotions. You know, you haven't got expression, body language. You know, it has to all come from that vocal source. So, come from that, vocal source. and again, Tim, you've been wonderful for my segues here. This is really helping the flow right now. Um, so. In terms of a character, taking someone like a character you played like Tuvok on Voyager, you played that character in multiple video games as well. Uh, a couple right. of Elite Force titles, I believe Star Trek Online as well. And that to me, based on everything you've just said, what, what was that shift for you? Because you had that seven years of being yeah. able to fully realize and physicalize the character. Did you find anything particularly tricky translating Tuvok to a voiceover role? As a matter of fact, no, that was actually the easiest role I had right. because okay. there's, there are not as many nuances with the Vulcans. They are, their emotions are masked. So sure. fortunately for me, I didn't have to worry so much about the nuances. And plus most of those in the game, he's in a command position. So he's busy doling out instructions and, and information oh, you, and things like that. Tim, you've been telling me what to do for years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so he, yeah, so he doesn't have to worry so much about that. His, his you know, playing that character mm. on camera or as a voiceover character, that character in voiceover on camera is much easier than trying to do a character that is human in either one of those venues because you know, as an actor, you train to to show emotions and that character, you know, is, j- is one that doesn't typically show them. So everything is very right. subtle. It's, it's, it's more subtle, but there, I, don't, I don't have to worry as much about the nuances. Yes, there are some, mm. but I've played that character. So I don't have to go try to figure out who he is and what it is, as opposed to, you know, doing a couple different characters on a, a fantasy, right. a, you know, video game in which... I have to remember what that other character was and what they were doing and what their attitude was and their vocal quality was and get that consistent all the way through. Mm. Plus, plus be able to show all of the just entire ranges of emotions for each one of those characters. That is far more difficult than 
reviving, you know, the character that I played for seven years, that's much easier. Those sessions went by like a breeze for me. So oh, brilliant. I suppose also because you have that context to bring in, you know, you've got that history, which is I've already got. Yeah, I've already done yeah. it. You know, and and it's not going to sound much different than the way that I would have performed it as an actor, you know, because it's Tuvok's character. That's sure. You know, he doesn't he just is not about showing a lot of emotion and range. I mean, if he's irritated, it's ever, ever so subtle. You can, you're not even going to barely know it. So uh, <laughs> that, that was piece of cake. That was cake and ice cream for me compared to the other stuff, you know. Oh, yeah. Because um, actually, that's something as well I wanted to ask you about, which was then obviously you've done a whole bunch of uh, video game voice acting across your career. Um, often at times when I look at it, I mean, your work ethic is just bonkers you know compared you know when you're doing stuff between tv film you're directing you've got a band you know it's 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 a real pantheon of work that you're putting out there and i one one particular credit of yours caught my eye because i'm a huge fan of naughty dog and the last of us it's one of my absolute favorite all-time series and and i i genuinely don't know the answer to this question so i'm hoping you can enlighten me on this you are credited in the last of us part two as providing additional voices what does that mean? <laughs> on on which project? On uh, The Last of Us Part Two. The Last of Us Part Two. Additional voices are only going to be those um, bits and pieces of um, other people's, you know, just the characters that only have one line or two lines. Right. They just come into a scene and it's got, you know, he went that away. You know, I mean, it's that kind of stuff. That, right. that, that's, that's what those are. Additional voices are just, you know, uh, small bit parts. They, that normally you, when you do voice acting for, um, if you're doing animation, there are people who do animation, they do several mm -hmm. characters, three or four or five characters that are different from each other because they don't want to pay another five actors. They can just get the same actor to do the same thing. Get him to do the whole and, lot. So. Yeah, just do the lot. And when you're doing video games, you have a bunch of people coming and going, nurse, doctor, cop, you know, yeah. bad guy, thug, whatever, uh, soldier. So while you're in the booth, they'll just have you read two or three other parts you know, as bits and pieces. And that's what those, that's what those are as additional voices. Cause I, I had no idea that there was so much multi-role involved yeah, yeah. in that process. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Because all those, all those parts in there are not individual people. They're sometimes the same actors doing mm. just different lines. You know, you just have to make sure that your voice is, 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 is discernible um for that specific character and doesn't sound like the character you just got through doing yeah for... so the the challenge there becomes differentiation right like yeah to, to... to create yeah to give this character whoever it is a handle of their own so if it's a doctor or a soldier um you know somebody just walks in the room and says such and such um a thug one of the bad guys you know mm. the henchman or something um you got to have a different voice for that character and it got to be consistent if they come back later, you know, and say, Oh, so, we need one or two more lines from this guy. Yeah. Later on, like an hour right. later, they'll say, okay, we got a couple more or whatever. And so uh, typically, you know, and what happens in some of these, especially the video games, I'll record those in, you know, several sessions over a period of a year and a half, you know, they take uh, two years to develop those games, maybe sometimes longer and you'll come back you know, three months later, six months later, oh yeah, they want you back to do some more work on blah, blah, blah. And you've and got I've to got, suddenly, you know, you've got to clue in to I've those choices go, you were making, you know. Oh, I gotta, I go in and I have to, they have to play back what I did six months ago. Wow. 
And I have to remember what that was. I said, okay, that's what I did. And then, you know, you'll get into the pocket and, and record the voice and, and keep going. So that's and the, you have to, that's you have the to, art of it, right? Like that's the work, yeah. the grunt work. That's the work. Yeah, that's the heavy lifting. And you have to be consistent all the way through your session. You know, you might get tired. Your voice might get tired. You, you know, you, you might start to slip a little bit from the type of quality the voice that the character has. I've had some where they were a little bit raspier here and there. And if you lose the raspy, they're going to remind you, oh yeah, you got to play that. You got to take that again because you're losing some of the quality of that voice because mm -hmm. you've been doing it. And all of a sudden you start, you know, you get tired, or you get distracted, or you get, you know, weary of doing it. And all of a sudden it, it, it'll fluctuate. And so you've got to be consistent from line to line. You know, and that includes when the character's emotional level goes up or down, you still have to be consistent with the quality, the tone, um, and the timbre of the voice for that character. So if the character is excitable or excited, something's going on and they're rushing around or doing something, it's different than when they're seated and just talking, you know, in a sort of um, a normal conversation or meditatively. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and, and of course, along with that goes all of the, in many cases, all the fighting sounds you have to make, you have to record all the fighting grunts and groans and hits and sword swings and all that and attacks and jumps and all that has to be recorded as well. I think that's, you've made a really interesting, like you, I think your perspective on this is really interesting because I think there's a, a misconception about voice acting that because you, you aren't considering, you know, blocking and camera placement that suddenly it becomes a, a not easier, but a simpler proposition than say on camera work. But actually what you've spoken to there dispels that myth, I think, yeah. and shows quite clearly that there's, there's it, it's still retaining all of those things that you have to bring to a film set or a TV show. Yes. Um, and if anything, has a longer turnaround because like you say, you're being brought back, you know, yeah. months, months after you've initially recorded. That's correct. Um, That's correct. The fantasy pieces, especially I've done, I've done one just recently. I uh, did one that's, that's like the second or third session I've gone in on for that one, that one project. And they, they average two and at least two to three sessions. They average that. Mm. Um, if your character is a, is a, uh, a major character in the piece and is all the way throughout the story um, because they do rewrites, uh, they do changes and rewrites and all kinds of things. And also additional packets, additional pieces that they'll add on later to the game, the extension pieces and all that stuff. You got to do all that as well. So they yeah, it, start, it, start throwing DLC into the mix and then it's <clears> a whole, whole different thing. I, I alluded this, I alluded to this a bit earlier, um, which is that, you know, I, I look at, I've obviously, I followed your career for a long time and I look at your resume. I look at the work you've pumped out and to me, like if I could have half the stamina that you're exuding just from your your work output, then I, I've had a good innings and I'm having a, you know, I've done well. So I, I wanted to, I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit, your philosophy to it is because you seem, you just don't seem to stop. And, and it's genuinely, I'm fascinated by that and what that philosophy is behind that. Well, the, the, fortunately for me, and here's the, here's the deal. Um, I did do some other projects while I was working on Voyager. Um, I was involved in a couple of other things on the side. Um, I was directing some pieces here and there. Mm -hmm. I was doing some voiceover work on Voyager. I was doing a couple of things. And I was also playing music, I think, while I was on the show as well. 
the thing about it is, is that, you know, you know, the 20 during the shooting time that I didn't have a lot of free time that much on the side. Sure. Um, it was during the hiatus that I was able to do all, a lot of other things. I had a couple of three months open and I would, you know, I might get involved in something in that break. Um, once the show is over, then I have a lot more free time. Mm-hmm. And so the things that I'm doing now, um, for example, music, I've been playing music for 45 years. So it's been off and on. It's always been up and down. Um, I dedicate only a percentage of time to the music. I dedicate only a percentage of time to voiceover, a percentage of time to acting and a percentage of time directing. Directing jobs are not constant. They're only, mm. they only come in every once in a while. And those projects are not, you know, they, those projects are done by either referral or by um, from the ground up when you're working with somebody to, to put the project together and they get it funded, et cetera, et cetera. Occasionally, somebody will reach out to me and ask me if I was interested in shooting a project of theirs. I, for that kind of thing, the only thing that I'm concerned with generally is the script and the prep time for the actual production. And a lot of times that never goes beyond the script. You know, uh, the project just doesn't happen. Uh, when it does happen, it happens fairly quickly. I have to block out a certain amount of time and I don't have time for anything else while I do that. And then once that's done, I'm in post-production on it and I just wait for the editing and the, and uh, the cutting and, and the, the post-production work to be done. And I just look at it when it comes in and I can go do something else. So just set up a gig here and there. The gigs are only one or two times a month, maybe um, that I perform, you know um, I don't rehearse with the band all the time uh, because we, you know, they're basically, or they're all pros and, you know, I, I can, I can rehearse on the day or I can send them the material they can get it together. And it's not that complicated. So mm. it doesn't take up much time. So I can go do a performance. I can, uh, and organizing is not that difficult. I do everything myself. It's not that hard. It's easy. Uh, the voiceover work comes in when it does. I look at the dates on the calendar said, yeah, I can do this date, that date. And I go do it. That may only, it's only a day. I mean, you're doing voiceover work. It's usually just a session, you know, four hours or whatever, and you're done. So, you know, all, and the acting work, I just finished these three projects. You know, they're just, you know, a couple days here and there, four days here and there. It's not a full-time thing. If I was working on a series full-time and I was one of the major actors on there, during that time that I'm on there, probably not going to have time for much else. But between that, between these gigs, since I'm not on anything permanently, then all of those things that I'm able to do are simply a matter of looking at the calendar and saying, uh, yeah, I can do it here or no, I can't do it there. <laughs> and that's it. And, and, and I do have time to work on all of those things. You know, I've got four projects right now that uh, three, at least three or four that I'm working on with other people, other producers. Um, and these are feature film projects that are from the ground up. One is a series and the other two or three are features. And that's working on it from the ground up in terms of development, uh, the story script, the contacts, the meetings, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and those things, I just checkerboard them and just put them in a compartment. So today may be this project and next week it may be that project. And tomorrow it may be this project, you know, and I just have to shift gears as to which sure, project yeah. is what and, and where I am in the path of each one of them, because each one of them is at a different stage. So, um, and if one of those projects actually heats up and takes off, well, then I shift all my focus to that project. And that becomes the priority. Time, yeah, that becomes a priority and everything right. else goes on the back burner. 
you know, but, uh, but given the fact that I'm not on a show consistently, I'm not uh, obligated to work on something every single day or every other day solidly. I'm, I'm, you know, I have time to, to actually indulge in all of these different things, which I really do enjoy. Yeah. Um, that's the difference. Either it's one show that I'm, you know, completely swamped on, <laughs> or it's a whole bunch of things I get to do that I enjoy doing um, that I can, that I have time to do. And, and that's the way it is right now in between. The, yeah. You, you are basically a time management ninja. <laughs> like that is just, that is that, that, but that does require a real discipline to be able to, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 uh, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. It is some scheduling and strategizing and figuring out for, you know, whether you can do something for time, you know, whether or not you can do something, and a lot of it, for me, a lot of it comes down to the people that I'm working with. Because, you know, if I'm working as an actor, my, my obligation to the project is, you know, dialogue and, and showing up and saying my lines, hitting my marks. If it's directing, you know, it's directing. I, you know, I'm not involved in the distribution. I'm not involved in the financing. I'm not involved in the producing. I'm only involved in shooting. So if the project is not off the ground, and it's only meetings and, and development and scripts. And I got to read a script here and there. I can read it whenever I want. I can read it four in the morning. You know, that doesn't require that much time that I have to worry about. It's only if it takes off. When it takes off, if I have to get pre-production going and casting going and then shoot up, that's exhausting. Yeah. And then I'm really focused on just that. And there's no time for anything else. And there isn't any time for anything else. So uh, if it's an acting role, I'm just learning my dialogue, learning my lines, showing up on set to go ahead and roll. I can do other things in between there, but basically when those things are happening, they're happening and I just do them. And I'm just allocating the time based on what they give me. You know, a lot of times it's like, you know, it's back and forth, the dates keep changing, the schedule keeps changing, uh, you know, and I'm telling them, you know, you know, if you, it's a possibility I may not be available. Uh, at, at that time, whereas I'm available now, you know, or next week, but uh, a month from now, two months from now, that can change. So I can't guarantee you I'll be available. And because something else could come up. And, uh, and so the hardest thing about it, typically, if you're involved in multiple projects at the same time, it's just the scheduling. It's just trying to work out the scheduling. It's back and forth between, you know, sometimes my agent has to do it for me the manager agent has to go on and they have to work with production to say okay well he's got this and that and he's shooting this and that and when do you have right. him when I, do you have him when do you have him on the board you know can you can you is it all right if he okay he's got these days available but doesn't have these days available can we i don't even want to i don't want to imagine what that looks like oh yeah <laughs> uh, i don't i don't generally get involved in all of that that's the oh. managers and agents but you know <laughs> if, it's, if it's my own project i'll say the same thing Right. You know, I'll be the one in charge of saying, OK, um, I can't do this right here, but I can do it there. And uh, I shot two projects back to back in December of uh, 2020. Uh, literally, I went from five days, six days on one project and the very <laughs> seventh day I was starting the next project and I was directing. Them. Rolled straight in. Right in. There was no breaks. There was mere, mere hours between the two. See, and I that's got what off I'm talking that. about, Tim. That's well, what about your work ethic is. If I did that, if I had to do, you know, I, I'm a drama teacher by trade. That's my yes. day job. 
if I, when I've done my five days, I go, cool, it's the weekend. I'm not going to be productive at all. So the fact yeah. that you're doing you're rolling from one, not just going from that acting project and into another acting project, you're switching discipline as well. Yeah. That, yeah. that, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, you know, in the, in the, in terms of shooting those things, I just, I had to prep both of them prior to when we were shooting. So I was prepping both projects side by side and I had a competent producer on, on, on the, on at least one or two of them. I had uh, the, the second one more so than the first one, but mostly the first one I had a longer run up to the second one is a shorter run up, but the producer is very competent and he's got all the dot, dots, uh, eyes T crossed and uh, the eyes dotted T's crossed. So I could rely on him to carry some of the lifting. And all I had to do was check in with him, uh, verify some things here and there, the casting process and, um, he sent me the video of the locations. I didn't have to go all the way out there. I did go out there for at least one um, to, uh, to scout the sets. And I did that. I just found time to do it prior to shooting so that once all the scouting was done and all the prep was done for both projects, I started on the first one, bang, 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 bang. And that was not complicated because I only had one location. And then oh, the nice. second one, second one, multiple locations, but I had already prepped it. And I just rolled right into that. And yeah, you know, at, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night when I'm, you know, after working all day and I'm trying to get some sleep, I did have to answer some questions about, you know, the next one that was coming up. Right. Because they, they did arise. Uh, they <laughs> had to, uh, they, I think they had to recast one role to last minute or some shit. I don't know. It was just, oh, uh, man. So, you know, there was, I had to look at, you know, they sent me the, the stuff to look at, the roles that people were reading for. And so I had to go through the casting there for that. We did, you know, a couple of things, a couple of hitches, but they were small. And I was able to, to make that role straight in because that was the only window of time we had to do it. They, they, otherwise it would overlap and I couldn't do both. So, so <laughs> I'm so glad you've spoken to your process because I think genuinely, I think people will be fascinated to hear that. So thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. I've actually only got my, I'm on my last sort of question now to kind of wrap yeah. up our, our time together. Um, and it, it does sort of full circle it a little bit. Um, when I look at your career across all your yeah. different disciplines that you've explored, I, I know I would find this difficult if I had a resume like that, but I genuinely, I'm going to, I'm going to ask it. <laughs> I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah. Dream role that you for, haven't played yet. A dream role that you haven't played. Oh, a dream role that I haven't played. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, a dream role for me would be uh, a period piece. Oh, um, nice. Okay. Yeah. Those. That's something that. That's something that I really would look forward to doing. Um, Interesting. As an it, actor. Yeah, as an actor, actor, yes. As an actor, okay. for certain, a period piece. And it can go back, it can go back from, you know, as, uh, as early as the Victorian age, uh, as, far right. back as, as far back as antiquity, you know, the medieval times or, or something like that. I, I would enjoy playing a role like that, uh, a decent role in a, yeah. in a setting of a character type like that. Absolutely. Because how many times would I have an opportunity to play those kinds of oh, parts? Absolutely. And the challenge of the language as well, like the dialogue. Language, the, everything, the, the mannerisms, the language, the attitudes, the, the costumes, everything coming together, um, you know, to make those things a reality would be, would really be cool. Uh, uh, those are, th that's kind of the stuff that, that, that I would look forward to being able to work in. And, and I haven't, have not had, 
hardly any opportunities like that mm. to play anything that was in that time frame. Um, and I've had some different roles, some odd, some very different roles, unusual parts I've had here and there, but nothing like that where I could really go out. I've directed this stuff and I enjoy shooting mm. everything in the time period. That I've shot, I've shot a bunch of stuff. I've got everything from the future to the past. I've got all <laughs> that covered, but I haven't played an acting role. You know, like I said, something that's uh, from the middle ages um, mm. or even older. Um, and even Victorian, um, a late 1800s, early. I did get a chance to play in a Western, which was a oh, great- Oh, come on. That, now that's, yeah. that's a rite of passage right there. That's a rite of passage, yeah. I mean, are, well, are, we, talking, are we talking the full situation? I, I was, it was a cool character. He was a, right. he was a preacher, but he carried a gun, his pistol as was- it was Oh, his yes. So he had a, he had a pistol and a Bible. It was a cool, I was riding horses, man. I was shooting zombies or whatever the hell it was. Oh, come on. You've basically yeah, just yeah. done a checklist now. <laughs> as long as I, I did, when he called me, I said, yeah, so I want you to play the when and where. Um, <laughs> I'll be there. And there's not an actor in this town that's not going to want to play in a Western. It's just not going <laughs> to happen. Zombie Western. So, zombie, I... It was a zombie freaking Western, man. What a kick in the pants. I need um, to immediately find this. <laughs> Yeah, good luck. I don't know where I don't know where it's at right now. Um, it was called Six Gun Saviors. I don't know if he ever got. I don't know if he has distribution on it or not. But it's called Six Gun Savior. Um, Frank Zanka. I didn't. You know, I'm not responsible for the writing on it. It's, I'm just in it playing a a character, and it's not a not a huge role. I'm part of a uh, posse um, that comes riding in to take care of some business against the zombies at some point. Um, but it's not, it's not a, it's not a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of characters in and out of this whole piece awesome. and I'm just one of a group of many. And, uh, but I've got a couple of scenes there and a couple of shots Dude, and a I, couple of things. I can assure you on the bingo card of things I thought you would talk about. This is not, this was not on there. <laughs> that well, is fantastic. It was, it was the, it was really. What a wild ride. It was really fun. It was really fun to do it, and uh, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. It was uh, just, yeah, I mean, something, I mean, that, that's the only thing I can consider that, you know, kind of that I can consider that's period, because 1800s. Sure, yeah. Uh, that I could consider that's period, that that, <laughs> that I was able to do, you know, as a role. Uh, but, but uh, you know, anything beyond that? Yeah, sure. Those are the types of things that I, Wicked. I really would like to get a, a chance to, and that is about as rare as it's going to be. Yeah. That's, that's a great pick, though. I love it. Um, yeah. so, okay, so final question. And this is something that we're actually asking every single guest we have on the podcast. This is how we wrap up our, yeah. uh, our conversation with people. Um, yeah. Is uh, I I'm fascinated by legacy, by the idea of, of defining our own legacy versus perhaps people's perception of us. And I was curious, from your perspective, what do you want your legacy as Tim Russ, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to be known for that defines you? Well, it would be nice if um, it would be nice if it was uh, being being remembered for the body uh, of work that I've done over the years, um, and that includes voiceover and acting and directing. If I could, it, 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 that would be something that I would look forward to to seeing because I, I know that it's going to more than likely be primarily Star Trek. Um, 
if something happened to me, God forbid, physically, if I passed away or whatever, that, that's what they're going to, if they reported it all, it would be because of the franchise. The franchise has such a big footprint, you know, in, in our world and in, in a popular culture that they would probably mention Trek as opposed to anything else. Um, because, you know, unless I'm on another show uh, that becomes iconic um, and that is a long running, long running show series or a series of feature films um, in which I'm playing a lead character and those films are absolutely ginormous, then you're gonna get you know, the recognition from that. But likely if it was a, a news report or something like that, it would be from, uh, they would use the reference of the Star Trek, not anything else. Because the other stuff is just, you know, it's it's it, it's in passing, and these gigs are coming and going, and they're not, you know, that that solid. So uh, the thing that people would immediately recognize on a larger scale would be the Trek stuff. So I know that's what the legacy is going to be, but I would prefer it to be something where, you know, all the other work that you've done. I really you know, like that that it's to consider the body of work, just the sheer body of work of creativity yeah. that you've put out into the world. I think that's an awesome message. Um, and yeah. Uh, it's honest. a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot, yeah. of, a lot of years. I mean, it's the, it's the culmination of a lot of years of work, you know, you know, uh, what's it, who was it? Faye Ray was talking about it. The, the, the actress from the original King Kong, she said that, you know, here I'd done all this work prior to that movie. And since that movie, you know, <laughs> an actress, you know, but who was the star? Who did everybody remember? They remembered King Kong, you know, right. Giant ape gets the, gets the spotlight from that point to forward, you know, <laughs> and hardly anybody's going to remember her as the actress who was, you know, had a major career during that time. It's just crazy, man. And it's that, it, which is, which is the, you know, the, the, the irony of this business, you know, it's, um, there's so many paradoxes and ironies that come with this kind of work, you know, that, that you, <laughs> for, for just as an example, uh, in my career, I mean, I did Voyager for seven years um, 26 shows a season. It's still in reruns. But the one thing that most people remember me for are four words that I spoke in the movie Spaceballs. That's it. Four words. And that's what most people will remember me for. You know, if they know, if they know that I was the one that did it, they remember that. Yeah. May not have seen Voyager ever before, but they'll remember those four words in that movie. That's the irony of this kind of work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of this, this bizarre thing that happens where it's that sort of perception you might put out versus the perception of you. It's a, it's a very strange dichotomy. That, yes, so. it is very strange. It is, yeah. it is magic. It's a form of alchemy. It's, um, it's <laughs> unexplainable sometimes. Uh, just the fact that you are perceived, you know, as that character on Voyager, um, in particular, by a lot of people, mm. and not much else. I mean, they don't really, you know, some folks say the fans will react to stuff they may have seen me on an NCIS or something. They don't care about that. They care about Voyager. You know, they would bend over backwards to see me in something Trek related. You know, and that's. That's what, that's what the, you know, that's what it is, man. You know, you're, you're part of that, that franchise, that lore, that, uh, that whole thing. And it is indelible. It is not coming out. It is not going to end. It's not going to stop. It's going to be that way forever. So, you know, you, you, uh, you, you, ad uh, you adapt to it and you roll with it and 
you accept it as as it is you know well I couldn't think of a better way to wrap this up. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to our first episode of our brand new season of Some Drivel. Although I feel like the name of our podcast has done this conversation a disservice because that was fascinating. Tim, thank you so, so much for giving up your time. Um, It's been genuinely insightful to get your perspective on the industry, your process, and just hearing you speak to all of these things, I think it's genuinely going to be great for people to listen to. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.